You are listening to the Bellator Christi Podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristi.com. Now join your host, Brian Chilton, as we enter the arena of ideas. Taking up the sword of Christian theology and the shield of Christian apologetics while taking truth into the arena of ideas. This is the Bellator Christie Podcast. My name is Curtis Evelo, and I'm joined by Brian Chilton as we answer your most pressing apologetic and theological questions of the day. Hello, everyone. Uh, we apologize for the Bellator Christie Podcast here for uh, the pause between podcasts, but we had some classes and intensives to do. Uh, um, we have a new... A uh, member to the Bellator Christie team. Uh, her name is Michelle Johnson. Uh, she's a new team member. Uh, and later on, we'll introduce her a little bit here. Um, hello, Brian. Hey, Curtis. How you doing, brother? Doing good. Doing good. Good to be back on the air. Like you say, it's been a couple <laughs> weeks, and uh, the class last week was really good. Dr. Kevin King, he is he's really good. And uh, But, boy, I tell you what, he spent almost 10 years as a SWAT officer in Atlanta, Georgia, and, man, he can just pop out information left and right. It's kind of like drinking from a water hose. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's cool. That's good. So was that uh, just uh, time frame like uh – 8 a.m. till 3 or 4, or what was the what were the classes like? Normally they last uh, from Monday through Friday. Friday is the shorter day. They're normally from about 12 to, I mean, excuse me, 9 to 12. Uh, normally oh, okay. Monday through Thursday is about 9 to generally 4 or 5 o'clock. We'll get an hour lunch. So, But, yeah, it's, it's pretty packed that week. Wow. Wow. It's a lot to listen to. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Well, Curtis, we have a special guest with us uh, on the air today, and his name is Christian Mabe, and speaking of Liberty University, uh, Christian is a Liberty University student, and he's from uh, my hometown, Pilot Mountain, North Carolina, and uh, he's coming to us tonight from Lynchburg, Virginia. Christian, how you doing? How you doing, brother? I'm doing all right, Brian. It's good to be on the air with you. Good to have you with us. Uh, so you have a missions trip coming up. Uh, can you tell us what that's about? Yeah, Brian. So I've been uh, really blessed with an opportunity to to share the gospel overseas. Um, it's going to be in uh, India through an organization called Generation Link. Um, the mission trip itself um, has the the goal to go over here to India and just be disciples and witnesses to these these nationals. Um, for those of you that may not know much about the nation itself. The Christian climate in India is is very, very dark. Uh, there's about 1.3 billion people in the country, and only about 1% are Christians. 1%? So there's definitely a need. Wow. Yeah, definitely a need. And, and these people, they face persecution all the time. Um, it's not uncommon for them to be attacked or have their houses broke into, their Bibles burned. So these are our brothers and sisters, and and uh, and we want to we want to be there for them and, and help them. Absolutely. So, so when are you guys planning to leave out on the missions trip? So the trip itself uh, is going to start plus or minus around May, May fourteenth through about uh, the end of June. But this is always kind of subject to change. Absolutely. Uh, logistically, but. Um, yeah, it's it's going to be a, a great experience, and, and I really hope that, that we're going to make a good impact over there. So how much money are you are you needing to raise uh, to go on this missions trip? So the trip itself in total is $4,800. Um, 
and this money uh, funds everything from plane ticket, food, lodging, any needs that we have over there. And the money doesn't just go to myself specifically, but it goes to help the whole team. So um, anything given is going to be used in its full extent. Amen. And so you, you said that you needed to raise a certain amount uh, here pretty quickly. So how much did you say you needed to raise? That's correct. So on the 22nd of uh, March is the first payment of around $800. Um, and the final payment uh, won't be due till later on down the road. Um, but yeah, the sooner that we get the funds, the better, because it really helps us plan the trip out and, and know what we're what we're looking at um, financially and logistically. Absolutely. So, how can people give to uh, to your missions trip? Well, this is actually the best. Uh, way I've ever seen um, raising money for missions. It makes it very simple. All they have to do is go to uh, generationlink.org and click on the uh, the Give tab. And that'll bring up a page and it'll say Residential or Summer Link. And you'll want to click the Summer Link. Um, you'll simply put in how much you want to give. You'll select Summer Link India. And then you'll put in my name, uh, Christian Mabe, in the, the space below it. And that's that's all you have to do. Really simple. Awesome. And also you have a GoFundMe page up and going too. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Um, all you have to do is search my name, Christian Mabe, Summerlink India. And uh, you'll see a little nice picture of my smiling face there. <laughs> well, that, that ought to sell it to the team as well. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that that'll that'll be a good promotion right there. That'll sell it this way. <laughs> yes, sir. Well, Christian, we'll certainly be praying for you. And what we're going to do is when we publish this podcast at bellatorchristie.com, uh, we're also going to put a link to your GoFundMe page so that people can find that. And we're going to try to put a link uh, to that was generationlink.org as well. So we're going to try to have those links up and available uh, with this uh, on this podcast and um, on, on the post where it's published as well. So we're going to be certainly praying for you, and we wish you the best of luck. And we know that God's got some great things for you and the entire team and so we'll certainly be praying for you in this venture thank you brian thank you very much well, we appreciate you coming on with us today all right thank you thanks christian Bye-bye. that was good absolutely was, uh, yeah um, i'm assuming we'll probably have a link up on uh, the website and for him to be able to do that and maybe or yeah, absolutely. What, what we can do is when we publish this on the website, we can go ahead and install a couple of links on the on the uh, podcast. So if you go, if you're listening to this podcast by, on different apps, uh, you can go to bellatorchristie.com, find the title of the podcast, and we'll have it there. We're going to try to have it available on the apps as well, uh, but uh, we you can certainly find it at bellatorchristie.com. Sure. Yeah. Well, let's get into this. We got uh, we got some questions here, some some that came in from uh, Bellator Christie uh, website. Um, one of the questions that came in was a question that came in about the flat Earth. Let's go ahead and expand on that. Well, I, 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 let me go ahead and pull this up and read it. it it's, it, what it is is a guy who's trying to sell a book, and um, you know, um, let me just read what read you what he says here. Um, he said, um, according to a Forbes article, only two-thirds of American millennials believe that the Earth is round. If you want to know the truth about Flat Earth, check out my new book, Morning Star's Tale, also available in paperback and Amazon. Um, it says, preface, recently Lucifer disclosed the mysteries of his flat earth and occultic kingdom, including a physical and spiritual laws that govern the universe. Knowing the vast majority of humans would reject his uncomfortable truth, Morningstar proceeded to write a book revealing the he- hidden secrets of antiquity. <laughs> so, there you go. <laughs> mm. 
So mm. in, in, anyhow, I, you know, I don't think that biblically there's any reason to hold to a flat earth. In fact, if you go, I don't have the reference in front of me, but if you go to Isaiah, it talks about the circle of the earth. Uh, yeah. There's really no reason biblically to hold to a flat earth, and uh, I really don't buy into that statistic um, about the percentage uh, of, of individuals who hold to a flat earth. But, uh, you know, anyhow, you know that, that was posted, so, you know, I thought it would be at least uh, kind if we <laughs> mentioned it maybe yeah. in passing or something of that sort. Yeah. Yeah. The, it seems like the flat earth uh, kind of idea has really kind of actually slowed down a little since probably the past... I don't know, six, seven months. Um, but, but, uh, there for a while, it was really, uh, uh, it was really, it was really becoming popular. Yeah, you're right. Absolutely. And I kind of, I kind of wonder, sometimes I think ideas spawn off just because it's different. And I think sometimes people yeah. g- grab on to ideas just because it's different, just to be different. You know, uh, yeah. I, I really, again, I, mean, I think just looking at the sky, looking at the moon and the shape of the moon and, the circularity, and when you see eclipses and things of that nature, I, it, it to me it, it makes no sense. I mean, if, for instance, I love astronomy, and uh, so I've gotten a telescope out and and looked at uh, looked at Saturn, and Saturn is clear evidence that that the Earth and planets planetary bodies are circular because you can see the rings as clear as day going around the encircle of of the planet. So again, that there's there's no there's no validation behind that. You, you kind of wonder if maybe that's kind of a, uh, I don't want to say a form of, but maybe uh, maybe a little bit more of an intriguement of, of the Gnosticism type idea is, uh, hey, more knowledge is out there. More knowledge can be revealed without, you know, really having to dig in. And, and that's possible. And, you know, I, I, and again, I, I go back to thinking that, yeah, I think you're right. I, I think... There's there's so many conspiracy theories out there. Some of them may be based on some truth. I'll grant you that, but mm-hmm. others that there's just no validation to them whatsoever. And I think that's where we here on Bellator Christie encourage people to to research in, issues and ideas and don't just take them at face value and and do the do the work and looking at because that's part of loving the Lord with the mind. Right. Right. Yeah, it's, um, it's, that's an interesting one. So number two, uh, uh, let's talk about faith and reason. Um, and, and what do we mean by both of those terms, faith and reason? Are they separate or are they actually, do they work with each other? So a few weeks ago we had had mentioned this a little bit and we had we talked about that during this last intensive that I was going up giving a presentation so I want to give uh, some of the core details about uh, the presentation that I present and I do apologize I I tried to turn the notifications off on my phone so if you hear a dinging on the podcast I, I do apologize that's coming from my end and so I've got to figure out a way to get that to stop dinging <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, faith and reason, these are two terms we use. Faith is generally understood to be the trust that a person places in God or in Christ. This doesn't mean a blind trust in someone or something, but it is a it is a trust in a person or thing. And so faith in many ways is used to refer to divine revelation, things that God has revealed about himself to us. So... In, in this podcast today, Re- Revelation is, is, is God's revealing of a certain truth, and it takes faith to trust what God is saying is true. So when we talk about faith and reason, at least on this podcast, we're kind of using them interchangeably. And mm-hmm. the, the term reason refers to a person's capacity to know certain truths by means of what we call natural theology. And natural theology, these are things that... Um, that can be viewed through um, through through the world, through nature, science, history, math, and philosophy. So the, there, and so the, this is a question that many people ask: Can we know certain things without explicit revelation? And I think I argue that 
that there are things. Now, but in the end, all these things come from God. But just for instance, a couple of passages of Scripture to ponder. Uh, Psalm 19 verses 1 through 4 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the expanse proclaims the work of His hands. Day after day they pour out speech. Night after night they communicate knowledge. There is no speech. There are no words. Their voice is not heard. Their message has gone out to the whole earth, and there are words to the ends of the world. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun. He also says, and Paul says in Romans 1, 18-21, For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Since, and here's the highlighted part, what can be known about God is evident among them, because God has shown it to them. How? For his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. So the attributes of God are seen through what he's made. And he goes on to say, as a result, people who are without excuse, they exchange the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served what has been created, instead of the Creator, who is praised forever. Amen. And so... Those two passages of Scripture seem to indicate that there are certain things about God that we can see from His creation. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I mean, you just look you just look out there. There, there are things that, that do truly declare uh, the majesty in who He is. I mean, think about where you live in Montana. I mean, big yeah. sky country. I mean, my yeah. goodness, God's creation is just incredibly i mean you talk about painting a picture and from the pictures you've sent me i mean boy boy he really did did some artwork over there <laughs> yeah right right yep uh could you remind us of the three models on how to approach the issue of faith and reason yeah absolutely and, and this is kind of what we discussed uh a few weeks back so first of all there's the tertullian model this is founded by mm-hmm. tertullian who lived but from ad 160 to 220 he holds that uh, faith and reason are counterposed and do not have any relationship to the other so in other words he says philosophy has no place in christian theology and so he argues by the latin term credo quia absurdum I believe because it's absurd. So, in other words, he's he's basically saying that it has to be absurd to involve faith. Now, some people would argue, and this was something that was brought up in class, did uh, Tertullian just use this as a hyperbole to, to, you know, argue beyond the scope of what he was actually saying? Well, it's possible. But he does say in this book, The Prescription Against Heretics, uh, he says, writing to the Colossians, he says, See that no one beguile you through philosophy and vain deceit. And he goes on to say, What indeed has Athens to do with Jerusalem? What concord is there between the academy and the church? What between heretics and Christians? So it seems like he elevates the use of philosophy and natural theology itself uh, with, uh, with 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 heresy, with the heretics. Now, again, it may be, I don't want to... I don't want to misinterpret him. It may be that he's taking this to, to the extreme, but um, it, it does seem that he's he's casting a distinction. And so Carl F. H. Henry says the Tertullian way, never typically Christian until elevated to prominence in the present century, uh, sharply contrasts revelational truth with metaphysical and scientific knowledge. He said Tertullian cherished paradox and contradiction and even contended that the incarnation of Christ is certain because it's impossible. In other words, because it doesn't make sense makes it true. That's what Tertullian yeah. argues. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So the Augustine, well, almost like you know, ahead, almost like he was trying to. Uh, it's almost like he 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 thrives in that confusion between the two. Yeah, absolutely. In in, in, in yeah. Tertullian's opinion, at least from the way I interpret him, and again, I, I, leave, I leave some room there because there is some discussion about how how strict of an adherence that Tertullian placed on this issue, but. Um, but it does seem, from what I've read of Tertullian, that he is saying that that it takes faith to believe something that seems mysterious or paradoxical or even absurd. 
and that is mm-hmm. he talks about like the foolishness of the gospel because it doesn't make mm-hmm. sense it takes faith to believe it mm-hmm. but then in contrast you have Augustinian the Augustinian model which comes by Augustine of Hippo who lived in uh, from November well they have this pegged down to the day and month November 13th 354 to August 28th 430 man uh, so he was the bishop of Hippo and he contends that faith uh, is the first step to an informed understanding of the world. Reason builds on faith, so he goes by the Latin term credo ut intelligum, I believe in order to understand. And so I won't read the quotes from uh, Aquinas to save on time, but he, he's basically saying that uh, that you first need revelation and then reason comes in to help explain some of the things that revelation has already presented. Now, Thirdly, you have Thomas Aquinas, who presents the Thomistic model, and he was born January 28, 1225, and lived to March 7, 1274. Aquinas comes from Aquino, Italy, hence the name Aquinas, and he was called the Dumb Ox. Can you believe that? And that was because he had a he had a large frame and he was real quiet. So it's not dumb as if he didn't know anything, but dumb because he the old term for dumb because he didn't Yeah, he wouldn't speak, yeah. Yeah, he was real quiet. So Aquinas yeah. holds that everyone can understand certain fundamentals about God by way of reason and natural theology. However, the internal attributes of God, for instance the Trinity, can only be known by revelation. So he goes by this this quote, Intelligo ut credum, I understand in order to believe, or says that reason helps inform our faith. And so um, in stark contrast with Tertullian, Thomas employs philosophical reasoning along with other metaphysics and, and things of this nature to engage divine revelation and human reasoning. So in other words, he's saying um, that there are certain things we can know about God from his creation, um, just like I think what the scripture argues that in the two passages that we've read. Now, mm-hmm. some people will say, and this was this was something that has come up before, well, if you go by Thomas Aquinas, does that make you Catholic? And the answer is absolutely not. For instance, one of the most famed uh, evangelical Thomists is a guy by the name of Norman Geisler. And so the late Norman Geisler calls himself an evangelical Thomist. He contends that evangelical Thomism does not lead one to Catholicism, but serves as a good... uh, well, it's just the term prolegomena, which means first things when doing theology. So just because you hold to the model that Thomas Aquinas has and even hold to a lot of the things that Thomas Aquinas presents, it doesn't mean that you have to necessarily become a Catholic. Uh, you're just following some of his reasoning skills and the way he gets to certain points. So it's right. kind of like you can don't throw the baby out with a bathwater uh, type of situation. Right. Right. Yeah. What was Thomas Aquinas's reason, uh, rationale behind uh, his solution? Okay. Well, I'm going to have to warn you. It gets a little philosophical here. <laughs> Thomas. <laughs> Thomas comes to some of his conclusions from uh, the works of Aristotle. Uh, during his time, they fe- really? they rediscovered. Oh yeah, they rediscovered uh, Aristotle's works, and so he's reading through Aristotle. He's reading through the scriptures, and he says, "Aha! Some of this stuff comes together in a unique fashion." So he blends reason with Arist- Aristotelian. Is that how you say it? Aristotelian philosophy and scripture, and so he he, he comes to this blending together. And there again, he's using Aristotle the way we use Thomas Aquinas. You know, you you can pick out the, the true points, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be a pagan philosopher. Uh, so so the, the truth is truth. All truth is God's truth, I mean, essentially. And right. by saying that, that doesn't mean that you come to your own truth. It just means that, that God brought everything into existence. So 2 plus 2 is 4 only because God designed a world where 2 plus 2 equals 4. So... Um, Anyhow, so let, let me go into some of the fundamentals. By the way, let me just mention a couple of books if you're interested in this. Edward Fazer wrote a good introduction to Thomas Aquinas, uh, his, his philosophy and theology, and it's simply called Aquinas, A Beginner's Guide. 
and uh, I used quite a bit of his material. And plus, the Penguin Classics book, Thomas Aquinas Selected Writings, has some of the most fundamental uh, writings you can spend. You can it'll cost about what fifteen twenty dollars for that, as opposed to probably two thousand or so if you bought the full full length books. I mean, the well, man wrote fifteen thousand pages in Summa Theologica, oh. so. Um, <laughs> he, he, he was pretty pretty intense. So mm-hmm. going through some of the fundamentals. Are those, those, go ahead. Are I'm those sorry. Books are they are they uh, are they just uh, more of a, more of a student type handbook or or student type book or are they actually something that just the layman can grasp a hold of? That's a good question. I think Edward Fazer is kind of like Alvin Plantinga. He, he's he's a very smart guy, and he and he sometimes writes real. Sometimes it's difficult to follow, but I would say that the the you may have to go back in, in this beginner's guide. You may have to go back and research some of the concepts he's talking about, but I think it's accessible to the layman. But, but just given the caveat that you may have to dig through some of the concepts because, you know, it, some of the concepts are philosophical. But once you wade through those murky waters and get through, it's well worth the adventure. It's really well worth it. Um, so I would encourage anyone who's interested in this to definitely pick up Edward Fazer's book, Aquinas, A Beginner's Guide. I, I think that would be a really good start on this issue. Good, yeah. So the first fundamental of uh, his uh, thinking was, and, and this is absolutely critical in understanding Thomas Aquinas, and I want to try to keep this as brief and simple as I can, because um, some of this stuff gets deep. So the, one of the key fundamentals to understand Thomas Aquinas is the distinction he places on act and potency. So act is um, the motion that moves something to one place or to the other. So like if I were to drop a pencil, the act of it moving down to earth is the act he's talking about. If if you talk about potency, it's the possibility that something could happen. So um, Edward Fazer says this, he says, The distinction between act and potency forms the basis of Aquinas' entire metaphysical system. The repercussions of this fundamental distinction extend well beyond greater or general metaphysics. So the best way to um, think of this is to picture, if you will, a, a teapot. Okay, and say it's sitting on a counter, and then and then picture on beside that teacup, cup, and uh, teapot and counter, there's a range, there's a stove, and so imagine that the stove was turned on hot. So what would be what would you say would be the potential that could happen with the with the water in the teapot and the stove? Well, if, if the teapot was sitting on the stove, it'd be boiling. Absolutely. So that's the potential of what could happen. The actuality of that event would be for someone to pick up the the teapot and actually put it on the stove top, bringing that to be. So th- that's essentially acting uh, potentiality. Uh, that there are certain things that have potential to come to be, but the act and actually moving that is what Aquinas is calling the act. Now, why is this important? Because Aquinas is going to say that God is the uncaused cause of all things. He is the prime Mm -hmm. mover. And had God not brought the potential into actuality, nothing would exist. And so this is how he comes to the cosmological arguments that he comes to in his writings. I so, see. Okay. So, are you with me so far? <laughs> yep, yep. And so, and so, sure enough, stop me, because, because, like I said, this stuff gets deep. Um, and he says in uh, Metaphysics, motion is the actuality of a being in potency. So, you have the potential being, bringing it into motion is bringing it into actuality. And he goes on to say in Summa Contra Gentiles, Potency or potential does not raise itself to act. It must be raised to act by something that is in act. Okay, let me let me decipher this. God, Aquinas says, is pure act. Okay? And so what he's saying is the universe can't produce itself. It has to be brought into existence by something that is greater than itself. Something that is 
in action, that is in existence. So he says the universe and everything in it is brought into being because of the uncaused cause, the prime mover, which is God. And this forms the basis of the entire thought process of Thomas Aquinas. So what he is basically saying, that if it were not for God, no one could know anything because there wouldn't be anything. So he says human beings can understand certain things by reason and logic. However, it must take something greater than themselves to reveal higher truths. So a person can know that God exists, but a person must receive the revelation of God to know who God is personally. So he's going to basically say that um, um, we can know, and, and he's going to go into this a little bit deeper, but he's going to say we can see the effects of what God has done, but to know God, that has to come from divine revelation. So that's right. act in potency. Right. So the second so, thing... No, go ahead, I'm sorry. Just, just to, just to kind of maybe, maybe clarify that, or maybe um, what you're saying is the act or act did not exist until God acted. Well, what he's, what he's going to say is that since God is an eternal being... He is the eternal act. Okay, okay. so see, he is, he is, he is, he is the one. He is pure being. He is the one who can who can act on anything and do anything. Sure. The, the okay. universe didn't exist at a point in time, but there was a potential that God could have created, kind of like the teapot. There's a potential that someone could move it to the range. So, like okay. matter, there was the potential that God could create the universe, but it took God's decision to do that very thing to bring the universe into being. And so what he's basically arguing from that is that all truth is is known because God is the one who brought all things into being. Mm-hmm. Little deep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. There, there's a second thing here called hylomorphism, and I'm not going to really go into this in depth, but it comes from two words, hyla meaning matter, this is the material which composes a thing, and morphe meaning form. This is the shape and characteristics of a thing. So, like I said, I'm not going to get. I don't think we have time to really get into this. But what he's going to say is that there are material substances and immaterial substances, and these immaterial substances are like souls, uh, like spirit. And he's going to say, he's going to argue from this that uh, we can know certain things, being in these material bodies, we can know certain things about creation, but to know the spiritual aspects, that has to be revealed to us by a spiritual being talking about God. And you know, Curtis, this is very fascinating to really think about this. We are limited in what we can actually know about the universe. Right. It's said even right. now that uh, it's believed that the present observable universe is 46 billion light years. However, the only thing that's reachable to us right now is 14.5 billion light years. And that's what we can observe by telescopes and things of that nature. So yeah. there is... What, four, I see, 46 from 14.5, so was that? I'm not a mathematician. <laughs> 32. 32, thank you, sir. <laughs> 32 billion light years that we that is unreachable to us at the present time. So, yeah. so we are really limited in what we can know. And so how absurd is it for us to think that we can know what's outside of the universe? We really can't. So that's right. what Thomas is saying. He's, we can, we're limited in what we can know about God, but there are certain things that we can know about God. And, um, mm-hmm. and so go with it, going from there. Four causes. I, the, the four causes, this, this, this would be something good for another podcast. Material cause, formal cause, efficient cause, final cause. Well, I tell you what, that might make a good another, uh, another good podcast out of that. So I won't get into that sure. right now. Transcendentals. Uh, again, that would be something. We may need to do another podcast on some of this stuff. Um, but one of, the, one of the things I do want to show is some of the arguments that Aquinas makes. He asked the question, does the human mind need illumination of the divine light to know truth? And basically what he says is that we can know certain things in this world. Um, we can know certain things, but to know God, again, that God is responsible for that. Uh, he asked the question, can human beings attain some form of knowledge of God? And um, and he goes on to say that uh, there are two ways that 
that a being can be known one through its own form or through the form of something like it. So here again he's saying that we can know about God uh, from what God has done, but to know God that must come from him. So let me read a, a, a text. He says, This knowledge of the effect is a principle of knowing of the cause, that in it it exists and functions as the inherent nature of something, of the cause does when it is known through its form. Every effect is related to God in this way. Therefore, in this life, we can only attain knowledge that God exists. So, there's a lot there, but really capture that last statement. In this life, we can only attain knowledge that God exists. So, we can know that a God exists. We can know what God has done. But again, to know God personally, that requires a revelation from God. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And... You know that's the special revelation of the of the word of the Bible. Absolutely, and so he even goes on to answer that, uh, like we we can know using cosmological arguments, ontological arguments, things of this nature, that God exists. But there are certain aspects of God's nature that can't be known by those means, such as the Trinity. I mean, we can know that God exists by seeing the, the, the creation that He's made, but to know that God is triune. There's no way we right. would know that unless God revealed right. it to us. Yeah, and you know, you look at uh, the the natural revelation that we see that God does exist. We still don't uh, know the the path to reach Him. So even though Absolutely. we have eternity written on our heart and we know uh, the heavens declare His Majesty, we still um, we still don't know the path to get there. Absolutely, most certainly, and that, that's exactly what Aquinas is saying. Um, yeah. He he even says this. Let me read this statement, and then we'll move on. I, I'm I'm trimming down a bunch of this stuff. He says on. Um, you better do more. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> it says the Trinity of persons cannot be perceived from the divine causality itself, since causality is common to the whole Trinity. No more can it be said by way of removal. Hence, in no way can it be proved that God is three in one. If you take nothing else from that, just realize that to say that people in ancient times were dumb is ridiculous. <laughs> right. Because some of this stuff I have to read three or four times to understand kind of right. what he's saying. But, yeah. uh, but, but let's see the next part of that. Well, um, I won't deal with I I will come back to this. All right, let me just say this one thing. Um Near-death experiences. Gary Habermas and and, and uh, J.P. Moreland. People have different opinions. I I personally think they're real, but uh, sure. when studying NDEs, what they say is you can't prove what happened on the other side because that leaves the sphere of of what we can see with the senses at this time. Um, rather, they have to test what they can test on this side. For instance, there's a story in their book Beyond Death, exploring the evidence for immortality. Well, they tell the story of this woman who died in the hospital, and she went and she left her body and went into in this disembodied state, went into the the waiting room where she heard her brother-in-law say to uh, a family member that he was waiting to see if she kicked the bucket. Well, she returned back to her body. God brought her back to her body, and she she approached him with this. She said, "How dare you say that you're waiting to see if I kicked the bucket?" Well, everybody was floored. When she did this, like, how did she know that he said that? You know, so mm-hmm. stuff like this, or like individuals seeing something on top of a hospital, or something in a corner, yeah. these are yeah, things that can be tested and seen. Yeah, those are ones that uh, really intrigue me. As as you read through those and you hear through those, uh, Frank Turek had had him on um, not too long ago, and was listening. I was listening to uh, them discussing some of these just amazing stories about even certain numbers um on uh, serial numbers on machines that, <laughs> that nobody would have known about that they, until they moved it or and then one uh, one was uh, the doctor kept telling her that he uh he read her uh, specific um stats or what have you and she said no you didn't because the computer or the the machine wasn't plugged in, and he says, "Sure, it was." And she says, "No, it's not plugged in." <laughs> and uh, and he went, and that, sure enough, the machine was not plugged in. Um, that one really just kind of blew me away. 
I mean, there's hundreds of cases like this. Yeah. And and yeah. and there's far more. I mean, the, the, being open to this. Uh, if if you talk to people, people are more more open to talk to you if you are more open to the possibility that they exist. And I have found numerous people who have told me of experiences that they've had like this uh, far more than I ever realized. So there are a lot of people who've had these experiences but may not come out with them because they're afraid of being ridiculed or or, or scorned or something like that. But uh, sure. uh I think there's quite a few. Now, Aquinas does say something. That there's a question about whether we can use philosophy. And he makes two points. He says, philosophy can be used in three ways in theology. One, to demonstrate those things that can be proven about God using natural arguments. Two, to make known certain aspects of the faith. Um, and number three, to combat false claims set about the faith or against the faith. Okay, right. so, but he gives, he gives two warnings. He says philosophy can be abused, one, by using philosophy to corrupt the faith, or two, to claim that all things of the faith must be reduced to philosophical claims. He said we abuse theology in that way because there are certain things that are known only by revelation. So that's important right. to know. So we got through really that kind of amazing to hear, to hear that uh, Aquinas was actually, um, seemed to be, pretty well balanced in in how he uh understood and stayed on track um as he's trying to explain this you know you know curtis that's one thing that really stood out to me too and and the more i delved into thomistic thinking the more that really came out that thomas is not trying to say as some claim that he does that that reason is the only way to know god and that reason can show everything in fact he says quite the opposite he, he limits reason to say that reason can show us things that can only be observed about God on this side. It takes revelation to reveal the rest. Sure. Yep. So we'll be, we're, we're finished with that section, believe it or not. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so uh, just to kind of, kind of cap it off, can you give a few reasons why uh, the Thomas Method is preferable over the others? Yeah, so I think reason can be used with faith because of biblical support. For instance, Jesus uses rhetoric and philosophy in his teachings. He often uses paradoxes, riddles, proverbs, and parables in his teachings to illustrate certain points, such as Mark 8.14, Mark 10.14, Luke 12, he does this. Um, there's a little book that's really good. It's called by Joe Carter and John Coleman, called How to Argue Like Jesus. And in this, they say that uh, Jesus uses several different means of logic. For instance, he uses these things called enthymemes in Matthew 10, 6 and verse 40. A syllogismus, which is an abbreviated syllogism in Luke 7, 44 through 46. A fortiori arguments in John 7, 21 through 24. And he also appeals to evidence in John chapter 5, verses 31 through 46. For instance, he gives the evidence of John the Baptist's testimony in chapter 5, 31 through 35. Uh, he gives evidence of his own miracles that he's performing in verse 36. I love the story, especially when John the Baptist is in prison and he sends his disciples to ask Jesus if he is the Messiah or should they expect another. And if you read the passage of Scripture carefully, it says that Jesus performed all these different miracles and said to the disciples of John, Go back and tell John the Baptist what you have seen and heard. Right. And so right. he performs these miracles as evidence of his ministry. He has the evidence of the Father's testimony in verse 37, the evidence of Scripture's testimony in verse 39, and even the evidence of Moses' testimony in verse 46. So, Jesus uses logic and reasoning. Paul uses logic and reasoning. Romans 1, uh, 1 through 17 is a good example. He uses logic in, in uh, verses 2 through 6, also verses 16 through 17. Uh, a, a term called pathos, talking about emotion in, in chapters 1, verses 8 through 12 of Romans. It talks about ethos, defending his character in uh, Romans 1, 1, verse 7, also in verses 13 through 15. He also quotes philosophers such as Aratus in Acts 17, 28, and much, much more. Um, 
He also tells us, Paul does, that reason helps us combat false views. For instance, in 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5, he says these words, For although we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh, since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. We demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. And what a powerful powerful. passage of Scripture that is. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Reason yep. reason helps us establish the veracity of faith claims, such as First Corinthians chapter fifteen, where Paul defends the resurrection. Luke uses uh, the term tekmerios in Acts one three to describe the acts of Jesus after his resurrection, which is a courtroom language used to describe convincing proofs. So Luke knew what he was doing in the in the book of Acts. So Jesus wow. performed all these different things, but. However, we've got to say that there are limitations to reason. So, for instance, reason is limited by human finitude. It can only take us so far. We can't see beyond the scope of of space and time. God has to open the veil to allow us to see that very thing. Reason, Reason is limited by transformational power. Reason will not save our souls. Our salvation comes from a revelation of God. And through His Spirit, we're transformed and made new in heart, mind, and soul. Reason is limited by what it can tell us about God's nature. Again, it can tell us that God exists, but it can't describe certain things about God. And one of the things that blesses my heart, and this is going to sound odd coming from a Christian apologist, is the fact that we have mysteries that we can't solve. Because if we could understand everything about Scripture... That would tell us that we have a man-made invention. But the right. fact that we can't work out certain things about God and the way He deals with creation tells us that what we have on our hands is divine revelation. Right. And so, for instance, like divine sovereignty and human freedom, how does it work out? That's a mystery that God yep. knows. <laughs> so we have these ideas about how it works, and I think it's good for us to work these things out theologically as best as we can. But the fact that we can't come to a solid agreement on this is actually proof that what we have is divine revelation. And so right. we should expect those type of things if, if what we have is a revelation of God. Right. Right. And yeah, we, uh, you know, it's almost like as if, uh, you know, people in the apologetics side of it, um, until recently, um, have really just tried to find an answer for everything but uh, and, it, and it shows that you're weak if you don't have that answer but i think it actually uh bodes well for the existence of god when we can when we can truly say you know what we have no answer for that and and truly the other side doesn't either it, you know there's so many different things that are open to that that that, that nobody has that answer and we never can and that's one i think one of the strengths of Unless you're from New Jersey, then it's strength. <laughs> However you say it. But and I have a lot of friends from New Jersey, so I say that tongue-in-cheek. But, but, but that's one of the strengths of the Greek Orthodox tradition, is that they relish in mystery. Now, sometimes too, too much, because they don't yeah. delve into some of the issues theologically that they probably should. But, by and large, they relish in the fact that there are certain things about God that can't be known. And I think we would do well as Protestants to to relish in the fact that there are certain things about God that we don't know and won't know because He's God and we're not. Right. So I end off the pre- ended the presentation with a picture of the gates of heaven, or what an artist imagined the gates of heaven to look like, and ended with these words saying, "Reason may notify us of the gates of heaven, but only faith gets us inside." And I think that's what sure. Thomas Aquinas was really trying to say. Sure, and that makes sense. And that's an agreeable thing with that, for sure. Absolutely. Well, Brian, uh, it, it's uh, we're getting close to our time here. I think we should uh, uh, close down and, and come back and swing back around for another one next week if we can. Absolutely, looking uh, forward to it. Yeah, so it'll be it'll be cur- interesting. I'm curious to see what uh, 
what what kind of more questions we get maybe off of this one or uh, maybe start a conversation about it and, and something that I think um, if we can have dialogue with people um, it, it, it sharpens everybody and it also uh, brings more uh, it brings more to you to have that faith that we need to be able to walk this walk. Absolutely. I would, I would tell our listeners to go to bellatorchristi.com. There are links where you can post a question. So if you have a question about this podcast or any of the podcasts that we have, be sure to leave your question there, and, and it will, that will provide us fodder for future podcasts. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's time to shut her down. Uh, so we here at uh, Bellator Christi want to thank you for spending time together with us, and we value your time. Our prayer is that this podcast podcast helps stretch your mind and is a place to strengthen your faith as we strive to create an atmosphere of discussion and is a reliable source of information. Join us next time on the Bellator Christie Podcast. And until next time, Brian and I say, hold your own, friend. been listening to the Bellator Christie podcast brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. The opinions of our guests represent their own and may not reflect those of Bellator Christie Ministries or its affiliates. The Bellator Christie podcast and bellatorchristie.com are protected under Creative Commons copyright, all rights reserved. The opening theme is the song Crucified, written by John and Michaela Limanis, performed by Crosby Lane and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit our YouTube page at www.youtube.com forward slash Bellator Christie. Also, please consider leaving a positive review on the apps where this podcast is found. We thank you for joining us today and hope to see you back the next time that we step into the arena of ideas. It's my privilege to announce to you that the Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics is now available on Kindle. So you can get the Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics in all formats now. It's available on Kindle, as well as paperback, hardcover, and you can also find it on the Nook at barnesandnoble.com. So please go and order your copy today, and share it, or maybe you'd like to share it with a friend. Whatever the case may be, help us as we get the word out and let people know that we have a faith worth believing in. Did you know that you can help the Bellator Christie Ministries by simply leaving a review? If you are enjoying this podcast, help us out by leaving a positive review on the app where this podcast is found. This helps increase the exposure of the podcast and helps others find it more easily. If you enjoy this podcast, leave a review. If not, send me an email. Either way, we want to thank you for supporting BellatorChristie.com and the Bellator Christie Podcast.